you know that the first flower to bloom in space is a zinnia because that's what's in Star Trek. It's very endearing though. I do enjoy that the people and the folks at Na NASA are just a bunch of nerds. And welcome to episode one of the Stats for Lefties podcast. I am your co-host Paige. I'm your co-host L. Right, do you want to kick us off? Yes. With the polling roundup and discussion that I can see underlined on your sheet. I like underlining things. I like this font that I use. It is helpful. It's called Corbel. Oh. I really like it. It's do very you like ordered. It because it shares a syllable with someone's name. Or is that just a happy coincidence? Your face! Oh, oh it is a happy coincidence. That's oh, very lovely. Oh my goodness me. Subconscious. Your subconscious is doing it for you. It is. Right. Uh, Roundup and discussion. Go. So, one of the things we were talking about in the last pilot episode was that the polls in the previous year were more or less tied between the two major parties. And once again, nothing has changed from that position. In January... The average of polls shows Labour on 38%, the Tories on 38%, the Lib Dems on 10%, UKIP on 5%, the SNP on 4% and the Greens on 3%, which would lead to a hung parliament with the Tories on 292 seats, Labour on 273, and the SNP on 43 and the Lib Dems on 19, which is not an enormous change, but it's enough of a change to result in a Labour minority government supported by the SNP. Because the topic of this episode is Brexit, I thought we'd also cover some European Union referendum polling. And I've been tracking the average of polls for EU referendum polls in January. And that shows Remain on 54% and Leave on 46% for a generic Remain versus Leave question. I've also been tracking whether or not people actually want another referendum. And the average shows that 37% of voters support another referendum, 48% oppose it and 16% don't know. Voters apparently support remaining but don't support a second referendum. I guess um, some of them are probably like you. Yes, that it's a question of democracy and I'm not entirely convinced that people are ready or willing for another one. Not without some serious uh, rethinks as to both sides' tactics because it was pretty bad. If the Remain campaign now just runs the same campaign as it ran in 2016, I think it would lose again. Yeah. Unless the option is Remain versus May's deal, and everybody hates May's deal. But even then, I think that Remain would find a way to screw it up, because they keep screwing things up. They're not very good campaigners. Their natural base of support, which is people in the Labour Party, doesn't really like them anymore, because they spent the last two years attacking the democratically elected leader of the Labour Party and the members who elected him. Which, I suppose, is why only about half of Labour voters actually support a second referendum, and a third don't want it. But I suppose... Having outlined those stats, it's worth moving into a sort of general discussion. Yes, this week we're going to talk about Brexit. Woo! <sighs> I really wish we didn't. It's not a subject I particularly find interesting. It's a subject I would really much rather just went away quietly. But it's here. It's the elephant in the British political room. Yeah, we've got to think about it. So I thought we'd load all of this stuff into the first proper episode get it out and then the way. get it out the way we'll move on 
So the question that I've got in my notes here is what do we think about Brexit? Both of us voted Remain and I think it's a fair assumption that both of us would vote Remain again tomorrow. Oh yeah. It would depend of course upon the, the question that's put in front of us. If, if the question is May's deal versus no deal, no deal is simply unacceptable. I think that choice would be pretty clear. Yeah. If it was Remain versus May's deal, I'd vote Remain. If it was Remain versus no deal, I'd vote Remain. If it was Remain versus some other Conservative deal, I would also vote Remain. And if it was, again, a generic Remain versus Leave question, I'd vote Remain. The only time I'd even consider opting for Leave, despite my very clear Eurosceptic tendencies from anybody who reads my Twitter feed, would be if it was a Leave deal negotiated by and overseen by Jeremy Corbyn. Otherwise, I, I couldn't really countenance leaving the EU. So I, I realise that a lot of people who maybe read some of my comments on a second referendum or on Europe would think, oh, this this person's a, a lexiteer. They, they hate the EU. It's like, well, I have always been a Eurosceptic. I was a Eurosceptic when I was in the Green Party years ago. I'm still a Eurosceptic now. But I'm a Eurosceptic in the sense that I'm very deeply sceptical, quite literally, of the European institutions, of the common market, of the single market, of the European Commission, the Parliament. But leaving it, I feel, is simply tearing the entire structure down without a plan to build something in place. Right, well, I voted Remain because as a 20-something queer person, I value stability over everything else. That stability is safety. And I think a lot of people who voted Leave, uh, they want a change. And when you actually ask them what that change is, they don't seem to quite, they don't seem quite able to put it in words. And they seem confused by the notion of me being like, no, I just want, I want stability. And I think that's in part because they don't understand the position that me and you are in as young people now, compared to the position they were in as young people in like the 70s or 80s or, I don't know, 60s, I guess. If you're really super old. Uh, or like the 1800s, if you're Vince Cable. Yes. I mean, he was young once too. Although to be fair, <laughs> to be fair to Cable, he did but remain. But yes, um, my main reason for voting to remain is because of stability and I like being friends with other countries, as naive as that sounds. I, I think the push towards um, independence, like this idea of we all have to be completely isolated, is just very redundant and it doesn't contribute towards a future when we become more and more meshed together as varying societies. Like, differences in culture is, like, that's good, it's exciting to have differences because then you get different vo viewpoints and different art and different media and different ideas but isolationism isn't a good idea it typically is it typically encourages nationalism which has a history of being extremely dangerous and as we've seen like in the time of brexit and trump like we have we do see more hate crimes than we did pre this era but yeah as, as, a, as a young queer person i want stability so that i can actually get a mortgage before i'm dead and i wanted protection and also like Brexit under the Tories? Ugh, I, I, I wouldn't trust them with the safety of a cat. But at the same time, people are allowed to have differing viewpoints. And I'm allowed to have this opinion, just as people who want to leave are allowed to have theirs. That doesn't mean I'm not allowed to be critical of leaving. I understand there are plenty of criticisms to remaining and to liking the EU. I don't love it as an institution, but I don't think voting for chaos over something that we knew was okay is a great idea like risking a lot of things is just doesn't seem a good idea especially when the tories are in power the real enemy here isn't each other it's not the common people who 
voted for leave or voted to remain. It's the party that was like throwing Brexit out there like a golden egg to distract from the real issues they were causing. And the party that under different leadership, but still now, is blundering around without a clue as to what to do. They shouldn't have been allowed to propose Brexit without already having a plan. Uh, that seems wild to me that they couldn't like if you submitted a proposal at your job for a new marketing campaign like you wouldn't just go i've got a new campaign to sell soft drinks like but you would you would have a plan well it's like equivalent to having to someone to saying wild. i have a soft drinks campaign and then you wheel out the poster and it's just the word soft drinks my favorite slogan from these the leave campaigners is leave means leave because it's a tautology, right? Leave yeah. means leaving because leave means leaving. I think what you said about the real enemy is a very good point as well, because fundamentally that's what the Labour leadership is trying to do. Yeah. And the, it's the opposite of what Remain campaigners are trying to do. A lot of Remain campaigners, the Liberal Democrats, people like Chuku and Muna, they want the divide in British politics to be between Remainers and Leavers, between people who are uh, open to the world and people who want an isolationist Britain. That's their conception of the divide in politics. But that's not the divide in politics. The divide is between people who have capital and people who have wealth and people who don't. Yeah. Essentially, Leavers and Remainers are two sides of the same coin. They're just, essentially, they're both people that want security and what's best for themselves and their families. They took completely different interpretations of the question at hand, but that's, they both wanted the same things. In the end, they wanted protection and safety and a stable future for their families, but they saw different avenues to do that. And pitching us against one another is counterproductive, and it is just an attempt to distract us from the fact that a certain someone got us in all this mess in the first place. David Cameron isn't really doing much now. He's just kind of in his shed. In He's trying to hide. In the country If somewhere. he speaks, people might remember that it's his fault. So the next question I have on the note is whether or not we should have another second year referendum. And I don't know if we've talked about this before, so we may disagree, but that's also fine. So wh- what do you think? I do. That's fair enough. But I know we'd lose because the campaign is really inept. But I, I wish that, because people seem to have more of an idea now of the absolute chaos it would throw us into... I wish we could pause Brexit until someone actually had a reasonable plan and then we could vote on it with a plan in front of us rather than May's plan she's going to force. But I don't think that's going to happen because nobody in politics is mature enough to do it. But um, I would like a second referendum. I know that you think personally that it's undemocratic, but I think again that it's important to remember that opinions change and people change and you can't necessarily hold people to the beliefs they had when they were different or younger. Like, there are a number of things that people have had multiple referendums about and changed their outcome or turned over laws that used to restrict certain rights and um, joys. Yeah, that's fair. Like, and I think it's important to remember that people do change, essentially, is my summation. And I don't think it's undemocratic, undemocratic to acknowledge that people's ideals can shift if they're given more information. Like... If we didn't do multiple, well, not I don't necessarily know the, the process with which same-sex marriage was legalised in Australia, but I know it wasn't a one-step thing, mm. and that it took several attempts to educate people on the fact that gays aren't demons. I mean, in, in Australia, it, was, it wasn't even a formal referendum. It yeah. was something that Parliament could have done. 
but the Conservative government chose not to, mm. and so it was sent to a referendum instead. In Ireland, they had to have a referendum because you needed to amend the constitution to make yeah. it legal. But here's my thought. If the Australians... This is obviously not a great argument because it's comparing something to Brexit which isn't really comparable. But if the Australians had said no to um, gay marriage being legalised and it hadn't been then taken on by the politicians and changed, would you... like? I mean, you can't really oppose doing it again in ten years when people have grown up and grown into the population and been like, well, actually, we were wrong. Because people can be wrong. So Obviously, that's not a good argument. I know that's not. No, it's not. It's an understandable point. So my feeling on a second referendum is, is quite dependent upon the context that we're in. We had a referendum in the first place because the Conservative Party promised that they were going to do it, and then they won. <laughs> and they won a majority in the Commons in their own right, not even just with the DUP, but in their own right. The one-time politicians do the thing that they say they're going to do. The referendum happened because of a democratic process, and at every stage MPs could have said no, or could have imposed limits on it, or could have imposed thresholds on it, and the voters could have stopped that referendum by not voting for the Conservative Party in 2015, mm. but they chose to. By a seven-point margin they chose to. On a 37% share of the vote, I wouldn't say their mandate was huge, but they won a majority under our system. And Parliament voted by an overwhelming majority to hold the referendum on the terms that was given to the voters as it stood, and people voted for leaving. And I think that having then elected a Parliament in 2017 that pledged to implement the result of that referendum, I don't think it's democratic for those MPs to turn around and say, we're going to make you vote again. Not out of necessity, but because we think we know better than you. So if we had another general election and Labour, against my own personal point of view, because I think it would be unpopular, but if Labour promised that they were going to hold another referendum and they won, there's no democratic issue with that at all, because that's how British politics works. You promise something, you win, you can make it happen. Or indeed, if Labour falls short of the majority, but the SNP and Lib Dems also support a referendum, and that in itself is like a coalition of parties that favour one. For me, it's a question of who has popular sovereignty. Is it Parliament or is it the people? So the voters have told Parliament twice now, in 2015 and 2017, that they first wanted a re referendum on the EU and they wanted that referendum upheld. They didn't have to vote that way, but they did. And I think this Parliament in particular, when 90% of MPs were elected on a manifesto that said, we will implement what you said you wanted, to then turn around and say actually, we can't make this decision. And instead of asking you to elect a new parliament, we're going to make you vote again on the decision you already took. I think it would shatter a lot of people's faith in the idea that their vote can change anything. Yeah. So the referendum had one of the highest turnouts since the 90s in terms of voting for anything, uh, and almost 10 points higher than the previous general election. I think a lot of people voted in it feeling for the first time that their choice had value, that it could make a difference, that it could change the political outcome of a nation. And boy, it did. Yeah. People shook the foundations of the British state with their choice. And I think seeing that very powerful thing just suddenly taken away and being made to do it again, not because politicians are incapable of making decisions, they could make a decision tomorrow that would end this problem, but because it's too difficult for them to do it. I think if a referendum becomes inevitable in the sense that Parliament can't agree on anything at all, the sense of dissatisfaction is a price worth paying. But I don't know if 
cancelling people's decision on a constitutional matter is is worth the loss of faith in democracy that I think it would entail. Mm. Because I think that it is possible to negotiate a Brexit withdrawal deal that doesn't damage the economy to a great extent and that does provide people with as much freedom as we have and as much protect as many protections as we have but it can't be done by a conservative government it can only be done by a labor government and only be done by a government led by jeremy corbyn which is why is that hmm? like why is that i mean i would argue it's because of political priorities the Conservatives don't care about the European Union's protection on the workers' rights and human rights. They've yeah. wanted to repeal the Human Rights Act for decades. I know. Uh, the Conservatives don't particularly care about the impact on working people of withdrawal. It's just the impact on business that they care about. Yeah. And the Conservatives don't particularly care about freedom of movement of people in Europe, and yeah. they want to end it. And so all of their red lines in negotiations reflect that, whereas the Labour government would. Mm. And I would argue that a Labour government negotiated deal would protect those things. It's also as well because Labour has different red lines when it comes to the European Union. Yeah. So the Conservative Party's red lines in negotiations are no freedom of movement, no border in Northern Ireland, a free trade policy for, for Britain and no membership of the single market. I don't think Labour minds too much whether we're in the single market or not. They certainly don't mind if we're in the customs union or not. So all of the, the economically damaging problems that come with withdrawing from the single market and withdrawing from the customs union, and especially withdrawing from it, all of those things with no deal, all of those things would not happen under a Labour government. And also because Labour's more willing to delay Brexit. They've voted in Parliament numerous times now to delay Brexit, both for the Yvette Cooper amendment that was put in Parliament and for Corbyn's amendment that was put in Parliament. And so the threat of no deal and the threat of leaving with significant problems is removed overnight with yeah. a Labour government, which to me is fundamentally the strongest argument that the Labour government would be better on Brexit. Well, yeah, I mean, surely it is better. I mean, just as it is at university, like if you are coming up on a deadline for an essay and your essay is not finished or not good enough, like you get an extension. Hmm. Good God, of course you do. Otherwise you get zero marks. It just, I know people probably, I know, I know people do think that it's undemocratic to extend Brexit further and I can understand their frustration because if you wanted something that badly I can understand why that would be frustrating but surely extending it is better than nothing like oh my god I've, I've certainly come to the point of view at this point that extending it is the least undemocratic option mm. I think making people vote again particularly parliament making people vote again because it's a question to me of popular will yeah so if the voters demonstrate a will for another referendum, either through electing a government that wants one or a coalition of parties that wants one, or even in local elections showing massive support for the Liberal Democrats or the Green Party that, that want a second referendum. Like, that's how we got a sense that there are a lot of people in Britain who wanted a EU referendum, because yeah. they were voting for UKIP. But a similar thing is not happening for these parties that support a second referendum. Even though I may be critical of that idea, I think that delaying it is the least undemocratic option, because... It's not reversing it. It's not making people vote again. It's just saying it's going to happen, but it's going to happen when we've sorted it out. And I, I think that that's a perfectly reasonable point of view. Obviously, there a majority of Leave voters will almost certainly disagree with that. It's a question of how strongly they disagree with it and how. And I think that there are a number of people who would be okay with that. I sympathise, though, because a lot of them very ardently want this. 
So what what do you think is going to happen next with Brexit? Oh God, okay. It's okay if you have no idea, because I have no idea. I've been saying that she's going to hold the meaningful vote on the 28th of March, if if, if she's allowed to do that by Parliament. I think May will very strongly attempt to hold the country to ransom um, by saying, look, you have my awful deal or nothing. And quite understandably, she thinks that people will look at that and panic and vote for hers because that is better than nothing. If there is no way out of that situation that she's trying to present people with, I don't know what's going to happen. If there's no way out, they'll have to accept her deal because I think even the most ardent Lever would admit that something's better than nothing because even if we sever all ties with every country we still need to trade with them so we do still need some kind of system there to talk to other people it's like don't sever all the phone lines so do you want to draw to a close in conclusion brexit's a mess yes the enemy is not each other i think it's it's really exhausting it is so it's the kind of thing i don't really want to be talking about yeah. Which is why we loaded it in a one episode and it's probably going to get like five listeners because no one wants to talk about it. Like, uh, as 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 a, a couple of millennials, we've already got so much to worry about. Like, we really didn't need this on top. Yeah. Yeah, can we stop talking about Brexit and sort out rent protections and teacher wages and education and, you know, unprivatizing travel? That would That's what we care about. Fundamentally, it's one of the reasons I want a Labour government, because we'd be able to start talking about those things instead. Stuff that matters. Yeah. I mean, just really, none, of the, none of this really up there stuff really impacts us. Let's let's start having real conversations about the stuff that really does impact, affect and hurt people. Like The one I always see is when you ask people what they care about the most, it's the NHS. Yeah. Yeah. Can we please fix the NHS? And I think that's probably the end of the podcast. Yeah. Well, that's it, I suppose. You've been listening to Stats for Lefties, a leftist take on polls and election stats. I'm your co-host, L, And I'm your co-host, Paige. You can find the podcast at soundcloud.com slash leftystats, all lowercase. And you can follow our Twitter account at twitter.com slash leftystats. It's worth saying, for clarity's sake, I do all the tweets. That's all me. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast and would like us to do more, I would also like access to some of Elle's election spreadsheets and podcast extras. Please donate to our Patreon so we can fund more cool things like this. Visit patreon.com forward slash leftystats to subscribe and donate. Uh, when I'm not making terrible meme comments for this show, I work as an illustrator. And you can find my portfolio at my website, pagalini.wordpress.com. That's uh, P-A-G-A-L-I-N-I. And you can send any inquiries to pagalini at live.co.uk. Well, thank you all very much for listening to our podcast. Goodbye for now.